0: Australia broadcasting around the world. Around the world, you're listening to the Mitch Maroni Show. Here's your host, Mitch Maroni. So after the, I'm going to butcher it again. Finzia. Finzia. (laughs) Finzia. Where did you go after that? What happened there?
1: Then I went to. So by then, I was doing business development at Finzia. I ended up leaving when it became Kaplan. So (laughs) Finzia had sold its education product to Kaplan. And so there was Finzia, which was the membership association, was one entity and Kaplan was the education entity. And my role at that stage was sort of across the two. I would have been taking a step back if I had stayed. Yep. So I decided to leave and I actually moved to the Law Society. Yeah, Yeah. how was that? That was really good. It was a challenge at times. So again, a steep learning curve. I think every profession has, you know, so having gone from banking to government to environmental government, to stockbroking and finance and then to law.
0: There's (laughs) a wide variety there.
1: (laughs) So there was a lot of changes to make and different cultures of people. But again, really fascinating. So we looked after, you know, talking to the members and what they needed, what the different law firms were looking at. So in a similar way that the IPA does with our members where we go out and speak to members and say, how are you going? What's keeping you awake at night? What can we do to assist? I used to do that with the lawyers as well. Yeah, so always very interesting. Used to organize like a lot of events, high court dinners, things like that. For anyone doing events, if you're doing an event in honor of the high court judge, newly appointed high court judge, perhaps look at a photo so you don't ask his name when he comes in. <laughs>
0: A little
1: embarrassing okay. on that one. <laughs> yeah, so that's my big tip. But then I also looked after committees. So we did continuing professional education for lawyers, and this is when they were bringing in. They had to meet the legal practice board, and they had to do different levels of education. Worked a lot on that, and the young lawyers committee, and also the law office management committee. There, so I did expose sporting events. Young lawyers are very competitive. So oh, any anybody... opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> And so they get their teams together in like the netball court competition or there's the volleyball, things like that. And so, yeah, they're always very competitive. Some of the best social events I've ever done. Did a law office expo. Highlight of the year was always Golden Gavel. That's where all the different firms sort of, they nominate one particular young lawyer mm-hmm. and then they'll come up and it's sort of the on a topic and a debate. It's very funny. It's adjudicated generally back then by... A range of people, but including the Chief Justice, who was Wayne Martin at the time. And one of those events where your cheeks actually hurt from (laughs) laughing so much. Because (laughs) these are people who are strongly trained in articulation and being able to present their views and they do it in a very funny way. We also did things like advocacy weekends. So where we'd take young lawyers away for a weekend and we'd have a handful of high level barristers, judges, lawyers and they would basically film the young lawyers as they tried to promote a case or an mm. argument and then receive the feedback from the judges and the lawyers. So that was always very fascinating as well. Yeah,
0: that'd be interesting. And as a mm. well, not that I'm a lawyer, but if I could put myself in the shoes of a you know young lawyer that is just getting into the field, that'd be invaluable.
1: It was amazing. Yeah. So their ability to really integrate into the cross networking between senior lawyers and the young lawyers was always really fascinating. And there was a lot of mentoring by the senior lawyers to make sure that they were helping the next generation come up. So it was always really quite heartwarming to see.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, that if you were like a young lawyer coming out, you might be working in a decent law firm, but you know, one, two years, just getting that feedback would be amazing. And then that would push you forward ten times what mm-hmm. it could have been. And then from the law society, what What happened next? Where'd you go?
1: I went back to Finzia. (laughs) Okay, didn't get uh, back from. No, one of my friends went on maternity leave. He worked there. So I went back in an events manager role there, organising. We did a lot of breakfast, lunches, dinners with 100 plus people at them on various topics relevant to the finance industry. So I did that for about a year and a bit. One of the really good events that we used to do there that was just, again, in that same vein as the advocacy, we did uh, leaders in the midst. Mm -hmm. So we'd contact all leaders from across Perth. So we'd be contacting, I'm going to forget their names now, senior business leaders across Perth. High up people, yep. (laughs) High up people. The the sort of names that if I could remember one of them, and I said that, everybody would know. (laughs) (laughs) And they would basically, we'd have lunch. So it'd be entree main dessert. And the leaders would move around the tables, so then basically young finance professionals get the opportunity to ask them different questions that had been happening, get that's their insights idea, and things like that. Yeah, yeah it was and it was it's a really good event. Also got
0: that semi-formal, but not like a Q and A panel. Like you are eating, mm-hmm. and you can have a chat, and yeah,
1: yeah, like, much more intimate.
0: Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Which I think, you know, obviously how I sort of roll, it's very much like that. You know, informal, intimate, just having a chat, and I find that the best way to do it. And you can generally dive in deeper as well. Instead of just asking one question, you can have the flow on questions of wherever it may lead, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So you did that. That sounds awesome. Then where did we go?
1: So at that time, so when I had started at the Law Society, mm-hmm. it was around about the same time that, or oh, just beforehand, that I actually bought a franchise with my partner at the time and my parents. So that was a fast food restaurant down in Mandarin. We had that going in the background. So I had been working to a degree on that. I had split with my partner, so I had had some issues actually being able to go down there and associate with it. So which had left a lot of the strain on my parents. But after Finzia, my Now, ex husband, but boyfriend at the time had a business. So I had taken some time to try and work on his business and find a way to make it viable unsuccessfully. It was a cabinet making business. He was a great example of someone who's fantastic at their trade, but didn't necessarily go through the process of getting an accountant and getting the assistance that they need to set up processes properly and to do everything well so that you know whether or not you're making a profit.
0: Unfortunately, there's a lot of people like that. I do obviously try and train them. If they're walking in the door, that's a good first step. But yeah, it's important to know are you making money? Just because there's yeah. money in the bank doesn't really say, yeah, you're making that much money because there could be tax, for example. That mm-hmm. could be the GST sitting there and you're just spending it thinking, sweet, I'm, I'm all great. And yep. you just sting yourself a hole.
1: So after a couple of months of treading water there, I ended up doing some budgets or actually looked at, okay, so these were the costs and what have you. And so, okay, for us to make a profit, we need to bring in this amount of sales, which is like 10 times what we'd been doing. But then if we brought in that amount of sales, we needed to hire extra staff because we didn't have staff to be able to make that quantity of product. And then by the time we hired that staff, we then had to increase the sales again to cover. And it got to the point where it was not a financially viable business. So
0: Yeah, and it's hard, especially... I have been on that side of actually owning the business in that situation, but seeing people and advising that, it's almost like you're, this sounds bad, it's almost like you're telling them that their first born child is ugly. They love (laughs) the business, they've built it, their heart and soul is into it and they're struggling and you are the one that says, yeah, look, I know you've done this, but it's not working and you've got to shut it down. It's never a fun conversation, obviously, try and save it as much as possible, but Sometimes you do have to and the reactions vary massively from just complete denial to kind of suppose you do know it anyway instinctively but when somebody just literally lays it out and goes, yeah, look, you can't, like pull the pin, there can be some relief there as well. But, yeah, it's yeah. not the best part of the job. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's also like because... Generally, people own a business, they've invested a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort and they think that around the corner, things will just get better if I just do this or if I just give this, you know, with the fast food restaurant that we owned, that was very much the case where we just kept, you know, we had a range of things go wrong Mm. for us in, in that environment, but just hold out that little bit longer and it just became worse and worse and worse as we went through.
0: Yeah, and you go look. I can do another three months. Let's do it. It's got to come back. You know, we're going into summer. There's going to be more people. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does pick up, and you're sweet. But at some point, you do have to go. Is it worth it? When did you actually join the IPA? I
1: joined the IPA in February 2013.
0: Okay. So was that the next one after?
1: Uh, No, there was a couple of other temp jobs. I did a contract at Fremantle Ports. I did a contract at Tourism WA.
0: What was it like at Tourism WA? I feel like that'd be
1: interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting. I loved it. They brought me in for six months to just help out because they were short-staffed. One of their staff had had a promotion and couldn't do two things at once. So I did the coordination of Tourism WA's attendance at the caravan and camping shows around the country. Oh, yeah. So we'd sort of go to Adelaide, Melbourne, what have you, and set up a stand and then talk to people about where to go in Western Australia, the different things to look at, which ways to go, what times you want to be going to different things, you know, looking at the extraordinary, you know, WA's got some amazing tourism destinations and things that you can't do anywhere else and especially if you're camping. So things like Exmouth and being able to swim with the whale sharks there in Ningaloo Reef. The pinnacles are something that you don't see anywhere else. Yeah. You know, we've got the Strummer Lights up north. We've got the, I can never say the proper name, so the Bungle Bungles, and I apologise because I know it's like Pernalulu, up in the Kimberleys and, you know, Broome and basically everything along the Gibb River Road up in the Kimberleys just, you know, is a place I desperately need to get to and see, so.
0: Yeah. I haven't been up north that far, but when I've seen the pictures of the Kimberleys and especially like the outback sort of Kimberleys, mm. It looks amazing. And it was a client that I used to have. They were up north in Derby and mm-hmm. they had helicopters and all that sort of thing. And they actually were involved with the prison. So they were supplying stuff to the prison up there. And they would go fishing, but they would fish in these rivers that were so remote you had to go by helicopter. And they're just pulling out massive barramundi and sorts. I was very jealous. Not that I'm a massive fisherman, but hey, I'd be keen on that one.
1: The people up there are a bit strange as well. I remember being in Adelaide at one of the the shows and there was a gentleman there from Derby, you know, so we'd bring in people from the different regions as well to be able to talk about things. And he was from Derby and we'd be talking about, you know, this particular creek or watering hole or, or what have you up there where you could go gorges so people can go swimming in the gorges you see those photos yeah yep. and they'd be like oh no are there any crocodiles there oh yeah but they're just freshies
0: I don't know about that <laughs>
1: <laughs> so but you know it's only the salt ones you care about I'm like oh, yeah. they all seem to have really big teeth <laughs>
0: they do they do, and I'm not a fan of any of them oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah my partner's brother he's up there a lot and he sent video of him swimming with a freshie that was just a no that was a hell no <laughs> <laughs> on I don't know. Some of
1: these places look pretty amazing. I would like to think I'd be able to get over my fear. I'm just
0: I'd not like sure about I it. I would like to could, but I doubt it. So <laughs> <laughs> let's go on the assumption we were allowed to travel anywhere in WA because for those that don't know, we've got internal borders that are closed at the moment due to COVID. So let's just assume that that wasn't the case right now. Yeah. Where would you want to go? Eggsmouth
1: and go? the whale shark.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, that does. I desperately
1: amazing. want to get up there and, you know, you see the images of these beautiful fish, biggest fish in the world, and Ningaloo Reef, everything like that. Yeah, I desperately want to get up there. I've been swimming with wild dolphins before in New Zealand and it was one of the most magical experiences ever. So to be able to do that with a whale shark in the wild where you're not impacting them, you're not damaging them in any way or, or causing them harm. That'd that would be fabulous.
0: That that'd be amazing, and the sheer size of them. Yeah, it would put everything in perspective. Yeah. I would love to do that as well. It just it does scare me a little bit being in the open ocean. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a little you can bit. Tell
1: a you're person. a boy who's growing up around great white sharks, yeah. big in the ocean.
0: <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't go very deep. I'm like waist deep. That's about <laughs> the deepest I go. There's always a few shark attacks around here. But yeah, so I'll, now a
1: good time to point out the amount of people are being grabbed. You know. Knee deep in the water.
0: I know, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> but I do know I knee deep, the- they come in and they'll grab you as well.
1: Yeah, I just <laughs> work on the theory, dusk and dawn. Don't go in the water at dusk and dawn.
0: That's true. Breakfast and dinner, don't want to be either of those to the great White. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I grew
1: up in Esperance, so you learned that one very quickly.
0: Yeah, you would down so, there as well.
1: Fishing, so fishing right on dusk is obviously the best time. But the amount of fish that got brought in and literally it was not out very far, like 10 metres if that, and the fish had come in and it was in half.
0: Yeah, that doesn't (laughs) fill you with confidence to go swimming.
1: No, it really doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not going to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'll just observe the beauty from the land and (laughs) yeah. The IPAs, so you started that in 2013. Yes. How did you find the IPAs?
1: I'd been doing, again, temp work. so. Basically, my careers being long contracts with temp work in between. I came across an advert for the events role. So at the time, the IPA had lost two staff members. We're a team of three, so that's significant. (laughs) (laughs) So there was an events role, so that's someone who looks after the CPD for accountants, which at the time was predominantly in our office, eight people coming to a CPD training session. We didn't do larger events and things like that. So I went for that role and Darren Roxburgh, who was the general manager at the time, said, don't think you're best suited for this, but I'm advertising this one next week. So come along for that. And that was the membership services role. So I did that and yeah, got the job on as the membership service uh, member growth and something or other. Very yeah. long title.
0: The full title of it, but yep, you dealt with it.
1: Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How long did you do that?
1: So I did that. February through to December. So in that time, I came on, I got married, I got pregnant, and then Darren resigned, so he went on to a new opportunity.
0: (laughs) The cat coming to say hello. (laughs) Yes,
1: very. (laughs) The difficulties of working from home. And so I applied for the DGM role five months pregnant, yeah, and got it.
0: Sweet. Yeah. That's good. Because it would have been around that time that we would have met then, eh? Because it was just before you went on maternity leave. hmm So you can't get rid of me.
1: No, absolutely. That's six years
0: ago? <laughs> seven years ago?
1: Six. Six, six and a bit.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yep. <laughs> and then when you came back, you were the general manager?
1: So I was the general manager just before I left. So I became the general manager in December. And then ended up having to go on early mat leave in March, April. So in that time, sort of hired staff and tried to get my head around everything. Did budgets for the first time. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> always. Um, oh, always. And then, yeah, went on leave and then started to come back. So I had a very short mat leave period and started to come back a couple of days a week after two, three months. How
0: would you find that? New bub and then having to work and juggle all of those commitments?
1: Being a slight workaholic, like I actually enjoyed being at work and things like that, but it was a real, the theory of mum guilt is something that's real and difficult. So you very much feel like, you know, he had to go to childcare at a young age. You very much feel like you're not there enough for your children, that you're not doing enough for your children. You constantly feel guilty that you're not enough there, but at the same time, you feel guilty that, you have to leave work to go, pick, well, now to go pick him up from school or, you know, working from home to go deal with, you know, sit with him for 20 minutes just so that he feels connected to you. Mm. It's this constant battle of guilt. And that, we're
0: trying to juggle that. upside yeah, I, so I th- that, but I would imagine that <laughs> that would be hard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's a meme or something going around where it's like society expects mums to parent like they don't work and work like they don't have children.
0: So. Yeah, as harsh and sad as that is, that's pretty true. Like.
1: Yeah, so it's hard, but, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm not someone who could stay at home with my child, you know, all power to those women who do, and it's not a, a judgment call at all on anyone except for myself. I'm not a mum. I don't do the playing and the education. Like some people are fantastic at it, and I look at them going, I wish I could, but that's not me. And I wouldn't trade my son for the world, and I love my time with him.
0: Yep. But yeah. A beautiful little boy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He has his moments.
0: (laughs) You've been listening to The Mitch Maroney Show.
1: Mitch Maroney Show. Stay tuned
0: for more.